You're listening to the Life Tree Church Sermon of the Week. We pray that as you hear this word, you would be encouraged and inspired as you pursue Jesus in your everyday life. Good morning. It's been a full morning. I'm going to ask you, can you just stand up? And let's just do a stretch together. Raise those hands up. Wiggle those fingers. This is just a a reset moment, okay? And uh, you can turn to somebody and say, man, you look good today. You can do that. Why not? We don't do that too much around here. But don't get into a big conversation because I want to preach, okay? So grab a seat. I'm just going to pray, and then we're going we're gonna to dive into this series I said that we are, we're going to be doing. Father, we ask that as we look at your word today, that we would be shaped by it, that the way we see the world, the way we see uh, ourselves and each other would be formed by what your word has to say. So we ask for it to accomplish the purpose for which you sent it. In Jesus' name, amen. So I told you we're going to spend some weeks looking at this idea of what we call the gospel of the kingdom. And the reason we're looking at this is because this is a big deal to Jesus. Uh, He talks about it quite a bit. You're either going to see just the kingdom or the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God uh, all throughout the story of Jesus again and again. He's recorded in Matthew 53 times saying this, in Mark 17 times, in John 41 times, and then, did I say John? I meant Luke. In Luke 41 times, and then John is a little bit of a strange one on his own, only three times. Uh, but altogether, you know, there's, there's these 114 times that Jesus is recorded referring to the kingdom. Simply put, it was a big deal to Jesus. And the reason I think it's worthwhile for us to actually take some time to look at this idea is because I believe that for a lot of us who have been in church for a bit of time, uh, we can have this reduced version of the gospel that we have received. And it's simply this, that, that you've sinned and Jesus died to forgive you of your sins so you can go to heaven. Anybody, you know, familiar with that message? And, and that is a part of the gospel of the kingdom. That is not an incorrect uh, message that you have been forgiven of sins and that's expressed in the death of Jesus. But it's a part, and it's a beautiful part. And so I want us to just realize, though, that this, this gospel of the kingdom, it's actually less focused, and maybe you've heard this before, but it's less focused on us escaping to heaven, and it's more focused on heaven coming to earth. And we're going to see this, as you look in Scripture, connected to that idea is this union with God. That's, that's the way the whole story of Scripture ends, is this union with God. And so, what is the gospel of the kingdom? We're going to start by looking at what just some of those words even mean, and then we're going to look at Well, I would argue is the first mention of this in Scripture. But first of all, we're just going to, you know, we're going to consider some words. We're actually going to do a lot of that today. There's going to be a lot of like, what does this word mean? And what does that word mean? Starting with kingdom, 
That word kingdom is not, you know, part of our everyday vocabulary. When we hear kingdom, we think of a place, maybe like the UK, right? The United Kingdom, you think of a place. But I want you to consider some other dumb words. Not, not, not dumb, dumb words, D-O-M, okay? Freedom, boredom, wisdom. All those words, the, the, the suffix dom denotes a state of being. The state of being free, the state of being bored, the state of having, being a wise person, right? And this idea of the kingdom, it's the state of living under a king. You could think of it in these terms of the rule and reign, So when you see this idea of the kingdom in Scripture, I want you to think the rule and reign of God. The place where God is king. And then we've got this word gospel, right? Gospel of the kingdom. And for those of us who have been in church for some time, it's this super familiar word. And who can tell me what it means? Good news. It's this Greek word, euangelion. And the you is good, and angelion is proclamation. It's this proclamation of good news. But this term had very rich cultural meaning in the day that Jesus is using it. It's deeply embedded with the idea of the Roman Empire. This euangelion, this proclamation of good news, was associated with a military victory or the rise of a new political power. And so when Rome would go in and conquer an area and begin to colonize, they had this, this political you know, idea, this propaganda, where we're coming and we're bringing you the gospel, the good news of Caesar, that everything's going to be better for you now that Caesar is emperor and lord of your land. Are you with me? And so it's this this idea that there's this announcement being made that it's good for you, that Caesar is now your king, that Caesar is now your Lord. And so what we have here in this idea, the gospel of the kingdom, it is an announcement of the, the, the good news of the kingdom of God. And so what we're saying in this series is we're exploring why this phrase, Jesus as king, is good news for us and for our world. It's good news that Jesus is king. That's what we're going to look at. And yes, it includes forgiveness of sins, but it's a lot richer than just that. And so to look at this, we're going to jump into the very beginning of the Bible. We're going to look at Genesis 1 today. And Genesis 1 opens up this idea for us. And we're not going to read the whole chapter. I'm going to just pick up in verse 26 and read to the end of the chapter and give you a little bit of chapter 2 as well. Um, So here we are, Genesis 1, verse 26. After all the creation account, we come to this. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. 
God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground... Everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Then when we jump into chapter 2, it kind of gives us a different angle and account of this creation. And what you're going to see in verse 7, chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now, I said we're talking about the good news of the rule and reign of God, right? Did you, did you see it in the text? Did you see the terminology show up in the text, right? It says that, that mankind was given to rule over what God had made. Okay, But what I want us to start with, I want us to see that phrase, let us make them in our image. It says, in the image of God, he created them. Now you've got to realize this text that's written like 3,500 years ago, roughly, was a revolutionary idea for an ancient reader to read this, this image of God narrative over humanity. Why? Because it was very normal in the ancient world. When this was written, to think of kings, emperors, rulers, pharaohs as being in the image of God. There was very common for for royal rulers to claim to bear the image of God in the earth. And what Genesis was saying to an ancient reader was that all of humanity has this royal status. All of humanity has been given this kingly, royal uh, task in the earth. It's wild. It's an astonishing claim to make to a class of people that were probably many poor and slaves and under oppressive rulers. And, And not just all, you know, catch that, male and female. He created them in the image of God. You realize how radical this statement, this claim was 3,500 years ago when this was penned? It's huge. Think to yourself of a political campaign and what are you going to see all over the place when, let's say, you know, you have a presidential campaign. We see more of it, you know, in the U.S. than we do in Canada. What do you see everywhere? You see images of candidates, right? Or when you go to, let's say, a a country where, you know, like a lot of the people who would have been reading this ancient text were used to, what would you see images around the country of? The ruler, right? And so there's this idea that that God's creation that he loves, that he cares for, he's, he's filled it with images of himself that represent his rule and reign, in that place. Or another image that comes to mind for an ancient reader when you, when you hear the phrase image of God would be a temple. When you go to a temple, what's the temple full of? Images of a God. 
The temple is believed to be a place, the ancient people would understand a temple as the place where heaven and earth meet. Okay? I want you to hold that image in your mind, and then let's think again to the last verse we read from chapter 2. It says that God formed man of what? The dust. The earth. And then God breathed into man. And he came to life. And there's this very vivid picture that we are actually seeing in this creation narrative that as a human being, you are, if you will, the locus point of heaven and earth. The locus point is the, the place, the central place where two things intersect and come together. And so what we have in this text is this image that, that humanity is by nature this, this earthy and divine being. There's a spark of the divine in each and every single one of you. You bear the image of God on the earth. You're the place where heaven and earth meet. Are you with me? You know, there's, there's all sorts of things when I prepare a message, I think to myself, what's a, what's a good illustration for this? What would be a metaphor? But this text is just full of imagery all in itself. And there's this image of heaven and earth wrapped up in a human being. So the main point, guys, is this. The main point of this imagery and the main point I want us to catch today, and we're going to continue looking at some of the words, but it's this. God designed humanity to be the governing body through which he exercises his rule and reign upon the earth. Now, I don't know, maybe for some of you, you've grown up hearing this sort of stuff in church, and maybe for some of you, this is, this is, this is a big, wild claim you've never heard before. But that is the image that Scripture gives us, and it's this idea that, that what we read in uh, Genesis 1.28 is built upon. It's upon this idea that the gospel of the kingdom is built upon. So we're just going to peek at a few more words that are in the text. At the beginning of this verse 28, one of the things God says to these human beings, these governing authorities, these, these, these heaven and earth people, he says, be fruitful and increase in number. And the idea is, is that we were actually designed as human beings to bless and benefit all of creation. Our increase, our fruitfulness, our multiplication is not a curse to the earth, is not a burden to the earth. It is intended to be a blessing and a benefit to creation. This is a bit contrary to a common narrative that would tell us there's too many people on the earth. Right? Anybody hear some of that? Some of that news going on out there? We need, we need to cut back, we need to, we need to reduce, all that. And there is this, this thing in the kingdom that actually says, no, because of the great potential that lies in the life of a human being, a human being's presence on the earth can be of great blessing and benefit to creation. And then it goes on and it says, subdue the earth. 
And there is this idea in Genesis, we didn't look at it, but if you look in Genesis 1 verse 2, it talks about how the Spirit of God's hovering over the, the waters and the darkness. And there's this, this imagery that, again, to an ancient reader, you'd understand that there's this state of chaos. And what the Creator is doing is the Creator is coming and bring order and beauty out from that chaos. And so when there's this call given to us as humanity to go and subdue the earth, it's a call to create order and beauty out of what would otherwise be chaos. And there's this sense in which left to its own devices, things can fall back into chaos. We actually have a role to play in bringing order and beauty out from what would otherwise be chaos. Again, contrary to a common idea that the earth would be better off without us. We were actually made to be a, you know, a complementary part of creation. But not just complementary, this actually like this crowning peace. We see that in God saying it's very good. You're probably familiar with this if you've been in church for some time, but... You know, all the creation story, day one through five, when God comes to the end of that day, it says he saw that it was good. But there's this unique moment that happens after he creates humanity, and it says, and God saw that it was very good. He's very pleased with what he made. He's very pleased with his image that he has placed upon us. I had this little moment this week. I wish I would have sent the picture to them in the back, but I didn't. And so if you really want to see it, you can come look on my phone. But it's, it's not that interesting. But um, I went into a public bathroom in a grocery store this week. And how many know public bathrooms? They can be a little sketchy sometimes, right? Uh, and I walked in, and I was at a grocery store, and they had taken this beautiful... Uh, bouquet of yellow and white flowers and put it in a vase on the sink in the bathroom. And I just had this moment. I'm like, that's it right there. Beauty out of chaos. You know, like this is, this is humanity at its finest. This is, a per, this is a picture of who we're called to be and what we're supposed to do. I had a moment, okay? And, and, and maybe it seems small, and maybe it seems like no big deal, but, you know, you know what public bathrooms can be like. To see a beautiful bouquet of flowers in there, I'm like, praise the Lord. Somebody is in alignment with King Jesus today. But it's a picture of, of who we're called to be in the world. That, that people who are aligned to the rule and reign of God go into the earth and make it better. Simple as that. And sometimes, you know, it happens in that, I remember actually this, years ago I went for a run with Stacy Taves. I don't recommend it to everybody, you know, Stacy's very fit, he's a great guy to hang out with, but trying to keep up with him running and have a conversation, oh man. Anyways, that's, that's a separate thing. I did enjoy running with you, Stacy, just for the record. But I have this memory of we were finished our run and we were walking around Panorama, Panorama Rec Center and anytime Stacy saw litter, he'd pick it up, stuff it in his pocket till we got close to a trash can. And there's just this sense that Stacy walked in of like, I have a job to do. 
I have a call in this world. Or maybe for you, you're in the public bathroom and you see a little bit of, you know, paper towel that didn't make it into the trash can and, and you're bold enough to pick it up and, and put it in the trash and wash your hands probably afterwards. But, you know, there's this sense in which that's who we're called to be in the world. We clean up messes. We make things beautiful. That's what the, the, the increase and subdue is speaking to. And then you have this word, rule. We're called to rule in the earth. And this is not just an idea that is isolated to Genesis. You're going to see this idea show up again in Paul's writings in the New Testament, talking about us seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. You're going to see in the last book of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, this promise to that those who overcome, and, and in other words, overcome the systems of this world and live according to the king's calling and design, he says, I will grant to sit on my throne with me. There's this idea that, that we are created to rule and reign with him. That Jesus is the king of the universe because he's the one who came into this world and did not fall prey to the ways of sin, to the ways of this world, to the systems of this world, but rose above and is now seated on a throne in heaven. But his invitation is to all of us who put our faith and our trust in him, to sit there with him. And there's this sense in which when we actually realize who he is and therefore who he's called us to be as humans, we join him in his rule and reign, here and now. And I don't know about you, but I know for me, I, I ebb and flow from joining him in his rule and reign. I, I screw up. I sin. I fall short. Okay? But when I align to Jesus as Lord, I get to be a part, you get to be a part of bringing about beauty and order in the world. So that's the idea of rule. Okay, like we have a broken idea when we hear that word rule, maybe images that this world sells us come to mind where we think about, you know, uh, oppression, enslavement, Right? And Jesus makes loud and clear to his disciples. The nations take their leadership and they lord it over people, but not so with me, he says. The Son of Man came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So when we see that word rule, what we need to understand is it's a call to a type of leadership, a type of ruling that looks very much like serving. We're here to serve the world, the creation. And we, we rule and we serve by, by guiding it, by guarding it. Are you with me? It's a big idea. God designed us to be the governing body through which he exercises his rule and reign upon the earth. Many have referred to it as delegated authority, right? And that, that is what we are as human beings within the creation. And God looks at it and says, it's very good. This hybrid of heaven and earth, this, 
divine nature that I've put in them. He looks at it and he says it's very good. And in his very purposeful creation, we have a very purposeful job. Our lives have meaning. And this this whole narrative we're looking at, this whole idea that we're looking at this morning speaks to our purpose and meaning as human beings. And I'm telling you guys, it's very contrary to the message that our kids are being raised on, that the world is being pumped full of right now. There's a a significant moment in our history as a people. And um, maybe I'll just point to this quote, quote from Richard Dawkins. How many are familiar with Richard Dawkins? If you're not familiar with Richard Dawkins, he's a very well-known, outspoken atheist. And he's a, he's a brilliant scientist. And uh, he says this, Natural selection, the blind, unconscious, automatic process which Darwin discovered has no purpose in mind. He just calls it how it is. It's like if you're, if you're, if you're, if you're holding to this view that the world just happened through this purely natural, materialist worldview and natural selection, the process of evolution, is all there is to it. Sorry to burst your bubble, but there is no purpose in mind. In other words, your life has no meaning. Dawkins would say to you, get over it. Get over it. But it's radically different than the view that the gospel of the kingdom gives us. The gospel of the kingdom and this initial point we're looking at this morning declares to you your life has profound meaning and purpose. And see, because the, the issue is, is that if we live in a world where we think that the creation has no moral purpose, no moral value to it, it really does just logically conclude that neither do you, Right? But this narrative that says, no, you have this profound call to rule and reign, to exercise the rule and reign of God in the earth, means that earth's destiny is very much linked to what we do. And it's a scary, sobering responsibility. It should also be inspiring. It should also be like, wow, look at what we could do. But think of this, okay? If this be true, which I believe it is, I think we can see it in our world already. Think of this with me. Think of the impact on a family that an abusive father has. That abusive behavior is not limited to just him. It creates a dysfunctional family, and it's likely going to create more abusive parents, and it goes down the chain of generations, right? Or think of a corrupt political leader. It has a very demoralizing impact on a nation. A nation suffers under corrupt leadership. And in the very same way, creation itself was disjointed and messed up when we chose sin over the rule and reign of God. The flip side of that, guys, is there is great, great potential, great opportunity in our role as those who rule and reign. 
we kept singing about this. This is how we fight our battles this morning. And there's this sense in which being made in the image of God means that what we say matters. What we do and what we say matters. We're made in the image of the very one who created the world by speaking it into existence. That's all we really know about this God at this point. If, if this is all you've read of the Bible, you know you're made in the image of the guy who spoke the universe into existence. And so there's this great, great power we have. And you can see if you read the biblical narrative, there's rarely a moment that God does anything apart from human agency. There's very few moments where God just sweeps in and does it all. You think of the people of Israel at the Red Sea. What did they see? They saw the sea part, but they saw Moses step into the water and stretch out his staff. Or you think of Elijah on Mount Carmel, right? And I apologize if you're not familiar with these stories. I'm not going to take the time to go into them right now. But Elijah is, is calling out to his God and fire rains down from heaven. And there's this display made that, that his God is the true God. And there's all these times we can see God working through people in Scripture. And what I want us to catch as we just consider this as a, you know, initial idea that this gospel of the kingdom is built on is that your yes to God has a profound impact in the world. It doesn't just have an impact on your life. It has an impact on generations to come. It has an impact on your society. I kept seeing this video popping up on my feed this week, and it was of a man, Telsey and I love, and some of you as well, Bill Johnson. And, uh, and he's talking on this idea, and this is what he says. He says, your quiet yes in private shouts in public and changes atmospheres. And there's this, this idea that, that, that your heart aligned to Jesus with a yes, aligned to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, it actually has an impact on the world around us. There is this inescapable reality as these people made in the image of God that you are a force for good or evil. The choice is up to you. But there's no neutral ground. And yeah, we've all screwed up. And we've all sinned. And we all fall short. And there's a beautiful piece of the message of this gospel of the kingdom that the King of kings and the Lord of lords says, yes, I forgive you. When we come and we say, hey, I, I messed up. I sinned in this way or that way. And so today is, you know, third Sunday of the month, we receive communion together. And as we come into receiving communion today, I want you to just come with that recognition. One, that I, I come to him and I say, hey, I've blown it in this way. Would you please forgive me? But also a commitment. There's the confession and there's the commitment. And there's this commitment to Jesus, I want to live aligned with you. And so I'm going to ask you the question as we receive communion today, what would it look like for you to surrender yourself to and therefore express the rule and reign 
of King Jesus. What would that look like for you in your life? What would that look for you this week? That would be made real. We're going to look in further detail in these weeks ahead about the, the, the more textured, detailed uh, aspects of this gospel of the kingdom. But this is where we start today. You were created with a divine nature and a divine calling to be partnered with God in his rule and reign expressed on the earth. And yeah, you, get, you know what? We mess it up. And there is a beautiful part of this gospel of the kingdom that the king himself says, I give my life for the consequence of your failure. Come to me. Be forgiven. Now let's get started. Let's go. And so in light of all this, these big ideas, the simple call is receive his forgiveness. And let's go about, join him in the work of bringing order and beauty out of what is otherwise chaos in this world. You with me? So I'm going to ask my, I asked some youth and they disappeared. So I'm going to ask Jason and Emily and Telsey and Anita, your guest in the house, and look at that, you're put to work. Uh, can you pull these tables forward for people to receive? communion this morning. And what I want us to do today, guys, is maybe different than what we do most months. I'm actually going to ask that you would you'd come and you'd receive the elements. And I want you to gather in a small group. I want you to gather in a group of maybe four, five, six people and just reflect on what this, this gift of communion means for us. You guys can stand and you can come forward. And then I want you to talk about what would it look like to surrender, you can come forward and they will serve you. But so there's this, there's a, you know, a twofold thing we're facilitating this moment this morning. It's the acknowledgement of falling short and the giving thanks for forgiveness, but it's also looking forward to what would it look like to surrender to and express the rule and reign of King Jesus in the earth today. And maybe some of you guys' groups, it's, it feels new for everybody in the circle to, to pray the prayer, to lead out and receive communion. Real simple. It's Jesus' body given for you, take and eat. Jesus' blood shed for you, take and drink. You can keep it that simple, or you guys can go deeper. But then pray for each other and begin to just, you can discuss what's it going to look like. What would it look like for the rule and reign of God to be expressed through my life? Thank you for listening to the Life Tree Church Sermon of the Week. At Life Tree, we are a family all about declaring and displaying Jesus to transform lives and benefit our city. If you'd like to find out more about Lifetree, you can find us online at lifetree.ca.